We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Packaday Podcast. You can get all your Packaday updates by following us on Twitter at Packaday Podcast. And remember to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, or Spotify. And of course, you can check us out over at CheeseheadTV.com. I'm Kyle Fellows alongside Andrew Mertzig, and we are back for another Friday edition of the podcast. Andrew, as always, it is so good to be back for another show. How are you? I'm doing great. Happy Valentine's Day to you, Kyle. And you know what I really love? What do you, what do you love? You're supposed to answer that question. The NFL draft. <laughs> That's what I really love. Yeah. So we, we have decided to talk about that very romantic topic. And I feel like Cupid might actually like Utah State's quarterback, Jordan Love. Jordan Love. I see what you did there. <laughs> Happy Valentine's Day for sure. And nothing but love uh, for all of you, our listeners. Thanks for sticking with us in what some people call the off season. But for us, there is no off season. And we know it's really, really early in this draft season. And maybe it's too early for our draft crushes to be fully developed at this point. But our show concept today, it's a pretty simple one. We want to spend some time looking at the prospects that are going to be the top of their position in this year's class. It's probably a little early to get into who uh, are the running backs and tight ends that are going to be drafted in the fourth or fifth round and those kind of value picks. 
But it's time to get started and uh, get familiar with the prospects that are going to be coveted in the top two rounds or so. And so Andrew and I want to go position by position, just highlighting who these players are, uh, their basic strengths and weaknesses, so that when we get to the scouting combine in just a couple weeks here, uh, we have a little bit more framework around who these guys are and what the expectations around them are. Uh, today, we're going to focus on the offensive side of things. And then next week, we'll circle back around and do the same thing with the defense. But Andrew, you mentioned Jordan Love. So why don't we just go ahead and get started right there and have a conversation about these quarterbacks? Yeah, absolutely. And we're certainly going to be talking about prospects that, um, you know, more than likely are not going to be around at pick 30. Um, but we, we want to give the audience who maybe hasn't taken a deep dive into the draft a, a high-level overview of who's going to be available. And then also, um, for those of you who have been uh, maybe a little bit more interested in the draft or maybe started to look at it after the season ended, um, a view into what our thoughts on those prospects are. But, you know, starting with quarterbacks, it's my personal preference that the Packers don't draft a quarterback this season. I just think it's too soon to take a developmental quarterback high in the draft. And I don't like the idea of taking on the middle or late round quarterbacks when you've already invested the time and effort into developing Tim Boyle and you want to give him one more chance to see what he can be. However, the guys that are here are going to make uh, or the, the guys who will make the most noise in the first round. Um, and, and, or, I'm sorry. I screwed that up, Kyle. What I meant to say, <laughs> quarterbacks always make noise in the first round, right? Like, they're the big topics. They're the headliners. They're the, the guys that are going to get the most attention. And they're really going to shape the landscape of that entire first day of the draft. And I really dove deep into uh, this top-notch quarterback scouting this week. And, and obviously the first guy you're going to take a look at is Joe Burrow from LSU. Everybody knows uh, who he is if, if you follow college football even a little bit. Won the Heisman, won the national championship. His ball placement is elite. Uh, he's going to put it on the correct shoulder of his receiver, you know, some some complaints, there, there's some little things with his game. He's too quick to tuck and run sometimes. He has the ability to read multiple routes, but um, he's often relied on his athleticism before actually getting through all of his reads. He's got great eye discipline against zone. He's not going to give defenders a chance to read his eyes. He's got good zip on short and intermediate throws. Uh sometimes his ball can run out of gas a little bit on some of those boundary throws. He doesn't have elite arm strength, uh, but he's a good enough athlete to punish teams running man coverages with, with no spy defenders are going to get really frustrated trying to bring him down in the pocket. And there's something that I found a little weird or quirky about his footwork. He doesn't always get reset when he's scanning the field. So sometimes he's thrown sort of across his body or, or in a twisting motion. And that causes a little bit of loss of velocity. He's really accurate on the run going both ways too. Um, Burrow is the highest rated quarterback prospect I've ever had. And granted, I haven't been doing the grading aspect for a super long time, but it would absolutely shock me if he isn't the first pick in the draft. And, you know, no quarterback's ever guaranteed to be great, but the floor is so high with Burrow. And you'd have to think Cincinnati would be crazy to let him go, especially with, you know, a young head coach in Zach Taylor, who's very offensive oriented. This is a guy who can really step in from day one and play and then has the ability to develop into a star in this league. 
The second guy that you're going to hear a lot about, Tua Tagovailoa from Alabama. Um, obviously, he's got the injury concerns. It sounded like his medicals this week turned out, um, or they're at least leaving us kind of optimistic. For me, he's got pinpoint accuracy on slants and posts um, and even wheel routes. I'm curious about his arm strength because there's sort of a it's, it's hard to quantify this, but he seems to be really like efforting the ball with his front hip when he tries to drive throws. So even though his deep ball seems to have plenty of juice and he hits more of those than he misses, sometimes I'm concerned that like he has to try too hard and maybe that's causing a little bit uh, you know, more strain on his ligaments than it needs to, especially for a guy with a hip injury. Uh, he's always throwing it in stride to moving receivers. That's what I love about him. Like Guys are going to get rack, uh, run after the catch when, when they're playing with Tua because he is going to hit them while they're moving. He's going to throw the ball out in front of them um, when he can. He slides in the pocket well. He doesn't step up as much because he is pretty short, um, but he throws well on the run when he's moving in the pocket. He can get stuck on his reads a little bit, so there's, there's a tiny bit of negativity. Um, he can take off and run, but he's certainly not a dynamic athlete uh, if if his medical reports come back positive he's going to be a top five pick there's no question about that and I think really what you want to watch uh, for me the pivot point of this whole draft is Detroit at number three so if teams are convinced that Tua can be their franchise quarterback there's going to be a lot of inquiries and in moving up to that position um, the third guy I wanted to talk about Justin Herbert from Oregon super good athlete uh, really good awareness to avoid pass rushing he can he can beat the defense with his legs Plenty of arm strength to throw intermediate and deep passes down the sideline. Dude's got a got a hose. Uh, deep pass accuracy is is very inconsistent. Um, he's got functional accuracy, so I w- I would say he doesn't always give his receivers a chance to do something when they catch it. He scans and reads the defense well. Uh, he finds himself in trouble when he's trying to force the ball under pressure. He's going to have to learn to throw it away at the next level. Uh, but some team is going to fall in love with Herbert, and they're going to take him high, higher than I would uh, recommend. And I think the top 15 at this point looks really realistic. The final guy, we already talked about him, Jordan Love from yeah. Utah State. He, man, this guy, this guy is going to be controversial as a draft prospect. Just incredible natural gifts cannon for an arm uh also a really tremendous athlete but he actually is very pass first he's not looking to take off a run even though he has that ability he's going to make some phenomenal throws he's also going to miss some really easy ones his interceptions are often a result of inaccuracy rather than poor decision making but he does miss an underneath zone defender from time to time he's got what i would consider a loopy throwing motion that's probably going to need to get corrected it's doable aaron Rodgers did it um but it's not easy it takes time he doesn't process the defense particularly well but he can keep the play alive his footwork can get kind of sloppy uh, you can absolutely see what gives scouts so much hope for love, but he's going to be a serious project for a team, but he could potentially pay off gigantic dividends. I think he ends up in the first round. If he slides a little bit further to the end of the first, there could be teams looking to trade up with GB to, to take love um, and make sure that they get that fifth year option. There's a little bit of a comparison I would make with Jordan love to Josh Allen. Not exactly the same player, but a lot of similarities there. And just like the general inaccuracy is going to cause you great concern if if you're <laughs> drafting him. But also like 
you know, Allen's probably a little bit more run first, but um, Jordan Love has that skill set. Yeah, absolutely. Accuracy is definitely one of those traits that you love to see um, at least partially, partially is not the right word, but at least a long way along in their development to having that piece of their game. And so that's a big thing that makes me nervous about a prospect, um, just banking on their development with accuracy, but obviously lots of traits to love with Jordan Love. Uh, But there is going to be lots of buzz around the Packers taking the QB of the future, really until it happens. Uh, This is just the kind of the place that we're at with this and the Packers, you know, I don't I don't think that this year is the year. I don't think Brian Gutekunst is going to see the future um, as really the pressing thing right now as much as he sees the opportunity to win in the next two to three years. And so I think we'll see Green Bay happily passing on a quarterback. And as Andrew said, really, maybe that trade-out opportunity does exist here if some team does want to talk about getting Jordan Love at the end of the first round. And one thing you said just stuck out to me when Brett Favre was approximately the same age Aaron Rodgers is now every year during draft season there was some quarterback that got connected to the Green Bay Packers um, whether it was J.P. Lossman or Kyle Bowler or the list goes on and on and the Packers didn't pull the trigger until obviously Rodgers fell all the way into their lap. And so I could see a similar trajectory where we're starting to get into these years where we're seeing these quarterbacks connected to Green Bay. But I think unless it's an incredible value, um, Drew Locke being the guy last year that mm-hmm. almost fell into their laps, I think unless something like that happens, I don't see Brian Gutekunst pulling the trigger. Yeah, absolutely. I think they're going to be opportunistic, rather, um, in the next couple of years, but I don't think that they're going to be desperate. And so I think that that's exactly where they should be. Uh, wait for that opportunity and then capitalize on it when it happens. Um, but for right now, I think we have the quarterback that we can win with, and I think that that's how Green Bay understands themselves. Uh, but let's run right into the running backs here. Um, at the top of the running back class, there's really – three big names that we need to talk about. There's lots of names that we can get into, but those names are J.K. Dobbins, Jonathan Taylor, and DeAndre Swift. And you really do get some other names mixed in here. Um, Heard some guys that are climbing up boards, but these are the main guys. Uh, DeAndre Swift from Georgia. He's 5'9", 215, and he's great in the passing game. He's got good vision, especially on the second level to make linebackers and safeties miss. I would describe him as a kind of, really a kind of a slippery player. I think he's more quick than he is fast. And I think I think he'll run 4-5 or, or whatever, and that's totally fine. Uh, he'd be great in a zone running scheme like what the Packers run. The biggest concern with Swift is probably the fact that he was consistently fighting nagging injuries in college. I don't think he really missed much time, if any, uh, but he was always nursing some kind of injury, it seemed. He had a, a shoulder that bothered him in 2019, and this is only really concerning because he had a pretty light workload at Georgia. So something to monitor there to see how he's going to hold up in the NFL. Uh, But Swift might be the most complete back and was who I really expected to like as running back one when I started this exercise. But I came away even more impressed with Ohio State's J.K. Dobbins. And Dobbins is one of the funnest players to watch in this class, in my opinion. He's 5'10", 215, so roughly the same size as Swift. And many of the same things can be said about Dobbins that were said about Swift. He's not going to blow you away with his top end speed. But again, you know, Josh Jacobs ran a 4'6", and that is totally fine for the running back position if you have the other skills uh, that you need. 
Dobbins has great vision and burst and runs with really that punishing physicality that you're looking for. And the biggest knock on Dobbins is probably just his need to expand his proficiency in the passing game. But there's room to grow his route running out of the backfield and his pass protection, you know, as a blocker. But Dobbins has the makeup of another feature back in the NFL. And I think someone who will go really high in this draft. Um, Next up here, very few of our listeners are going to really need me to tell them who Jonathan Taylor is. He had just about as good of a college career as you can possibly have. And Taylor was busy at Wisconsin, and that's really one of the knocks on him. Uh, He carried a pretty heavy workload there, and people will be concerned if he'll wear down early in his pro career with that much wear and tear on his body. But for me, the biggest concern with Taylor is the 18 fumbles that he had at Wisconsin. And ball security is something he's definitely going to have to improve and be conscious of as he goes to the NFL. Uh, But my goodness, what a talented runner Taylor is. He's that mix of power and speed, but he also has that great patience that you want in a runner, which is a really, really big deal in the NFL. Uh, He's probably not the receiving threat that Dobbins and Swift are, uh, so that probably limits how high he actually goes in the draft. So really an opportunity uh, for someone to get a really talented back a little bit later. But running back is definitely going to be an interesting position to watch, especially for the Packers, because they obviously don't have a pressing need right there um, right now with Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams as that great one-two punch. Uh, but both of those guys have expiring contracts after 2020. So uh, who knows what the future of that position is. So for me, it's really hard to imagine Green Bay going right back in round one. But I could totally see a scenario in which they could fall in love with a guy in the second or third. Um, we saw them take some guys in the fourth and in, in, in the past and really pull the trigger on a guy that they think can, they can develop into an impact runner. Yeah, and I had a lot of hope that maybe one of the big four running backs would slip into the second round and potentially Green Bay could draft another guy to throw in the mix there. And when I say big four, um, I was referring to Travis Etienne before he decided to return to Clemson. And I think that really kind of changed the layout of this draft class because you saw a lot of teams saying like, why take one high when we have these four guys all graded together? And now that it's just three I kind of feel like that value is increasing a little bit and you, you may see one of these guys taken off the board a little bit earlier than than you would uh, have otherwise. And one, you know, speaking of a fourth guy, I've been hearing a lot about Florida State's Cam Akers sneaking into this group. And I, I haven't done any film study on running backs yet at all, but I'm certainly very familiar with Dobbins and Taylor from watching a lot of Big Ten football. Uh, Jonathan Taylor is going to run a tremendous time at the Combine. He was a... I believe state track champion in, in New Jersey. And so he's going to put up some impressive numbers and um, that, that might uh, change teams perception of him a little bit uh, more than the traditional Wisconsin stereotype at running back. But for me, Dobbins is just so well-rounded. He's, he's really good in the passing game and you're absolutely right. There's things he can improve, but I think you can keep him on the field as a three down back right away uh, without a lot of development. And I can't see him not being the first running back taken, but certainly we got a lot of time and some things will change. Yeah, absolutely. Dobbins, like I said, I really came into this expecting to like Swift the most. And I had heard that Dobbins wasn't quite that 
that player out of the backfield that you want in the passing game. And I saw enough on film that got really, me really, really excited. So I think, you know, obviously we've got the combine to go through and stuff, but Dobbins will probably be at the top of my list for running backs. And you mentioned Cam Akers. And again, same as you, I haven't gotten into his film at all, but I've seen some people that I really respect on Twitter that have him as high as their running back too. And so I'm really, really excited uh, to jump into him. So uh, we'll hopefully have a little bit more content on Akers uh, in the weeks ahead. Yeah, and I got assigned slash I told Kyle I was taking wide receivers this week, uh, which I don't think he was super happy about. But we're <laughs> we're going to be spending so much time discussing wide receivers throughout this draft process. I actually chose not to go as in-depth here. Um, I've been doing breakdowns of all these players on Twitter, so if you want to go check those out, feel free. Um, but here's the position in the nutshell. For me, the guys who should go really high are going to be C.D. Lamb from Oklahoma, Jerry Judy from Alabama, and Henry Ruggs III also from Alabama. Uh, For me, Lamb is my top-ranked receiver. He is a contested catch artist, and he's someone who you can make uh, or who can make you pay once he gets the ball in his hands. Jerry Judy is as polished of a route runner as you'll see coming out of college, period. And Henry Ruggs III is one of the most dynamic prospects we are going to see probably in the Combine's history. People are talking about him running in the four twos, and you have to wonder if uh, Jeremy Ross's um, record in the 40 might be at risk a little bit. So um, he's really fun to watch, and he's a football player. He's not just a track star. Um, This is a really, really good top group. The next level is almost as impressive. You have uh, LaVisca Chenault Jr. from Colorado, Justin Jefferson from LSU, and they're very different players. Chenault is incredible with the ball in his hands, but he's also an incredibly raw route runner. Uh, He's maybe got a little running back in him and not enough receiver at this point, but you get him the ball, he's going to make some fun things happen. On the you know, counter to that, Jefferson's super polished. I'm concerned he's really good at everything and not great at anything, but there are plenty of guys that have had phenomenal NFL careers without elite athleticism, um, and they, they just turn themselves into uh, great players, and he absolutely uh, could be one of those. Some other guys that could be available maybe mid to late first round or maybe even sneaking in the second round because of the depth at this position. Brandon Ayuk from Arizona State, Jalen Rager from TCU, T. Higgins from Clemson. We have no idea who's actually going to be at 30. But for me, you know, Ayuk is an electric athlete. Rager is a track star who can run and jump out of the building. And Higgins is a tall, thin guy who runs really good routes, and he makes a ton of contested NFL-style catches. And that's just the top of the class. There are a lot of intriguing options at wide receiver. We could spend the entire show just talking wide receiver. We'll probably do that at some point. But something, (laughs) this is a position this podcast is going to spend a ton of time on over the next couple months. So we didn't want to like drown you with wide receiver coverage. Yeah, and it's such a super interesting position for so many different reasons. First, because it's a position that matters to the Packers greatly. You know, it's it's just that's the fact of the matter. The other piece of it is that it's going to be so interesting to see how many different rankings we get of these guys. Because, you know, I've seen guys that um, have um, LaVisca Chenault ranked number 12. And I've seen guys who have... Um, I don't know, let's say T. Higgins ranked number two. And it's just going to be all over the map with these guys because they are so talented and they are so, so different in the ways that they win. So um, we'll be paying attention to this group, as Andrew said, and we'll get you guys as much content about these guys as we can because we hope that this is something we're talking about um, as far as what the Packers are selecting, maybe around 
pick 30 in the first round of the draft. Uh, but let's keep going here and let's get into some tight ends, okay? Um, today's exercise is supposed to focus on the top end prospects at each position. And it's tough with a tight end group because it's a pretty weak class this year at tight end. I, I seriously doubt the 2020 class gives us a first round pick at tight end. It's not that there aren't good players at the tight end position. It's just that they're either one dimensional or they're either a pass catcher or a blocking tight end and not a nice blend of both. Um, or they're really talented, but also incredibly raw. And I would say that the top of this class is probably Bryson Hopkins from Purdue. Uh, he's 6'5", 240. And Hopkins is a great route running tight end. And I was surprised at the amount of highlight reel catches that this guy put on tape. He's certainly a guy who's going to go up and get it. Uh, the issues with Hopkins is really just one. He's not a complete player. He's kind of in the mold of someone like Jared Cook, where you know he's a talented pass catcher, but he's going to be limited, at least, as a blocker. And he's not the most physical guy in the world either, um, but he certainly brings an athletic skill set that teams are going to love in the modern NFL. Uh, for me, Hopkins is probably tight end one, and then there's probably a little bit of a gap uh, behind him to some of these other names, not because they couldn't have better pro careers than Hopkins, but because there's just a lot more projection required with these guys. And normally we would probably cut this off here because he's probably the guy who's going to lead this this group. But we'll talk about some of these other guys because it's fun and we like tight ends in Green Bay. Um, Cole Komet is from Notre Dame. He's 6'4", and he's pushing 250 at this point. Uh, super, super raw, multi-sport athlete. He was kind of a baseball player first, and then he had a big 2019 as a football player. Uh, but Komet has really nice flashes as a route runner, and so you like what he could become. Hunter Bryant from Washington is a receiver really in a tight end's body, and you're definitely not going to want to line him up in any place that he's going to need to block much. That's just not his game, uh, but he's a great receiver and does some nice things after the catch as well. I think his athletic testing is going to be huge for him at the Combine, so that's something to watch uh, in just a couple weeks here. Thaddeus Moss is a guy who gets a lot of mentions uh, because of who his dad is. Obviously, his dad's Randy Moss, and you'd expect the son of Randy Moss to be a receiver primarily, right? Uh, but it's really the, the blocking uh, for Thaddeus Moss that is going to make him valuable right away for an NFL team. And so at 6'3", 250, he really is that elite blocker who gives max effort all the time and plays really smart football as well. So uh, exciting player, but a different kind of player in Thaddeus Moss. And if you're looking for a raw ball of clay who has a ton of tools, but it's going to need a lot of time and coaching. You're talking about Adam Troutman from Dayton, and he's kind of your prototypical size for the position at 6'5", 250. He's got a basketball background, which we you know love. That's kind of a buzz thing uh, with, with our tight end group here. Uh, but lots to like as a developmental player for Troutman. Uh, but Green Bay seems really excited about the development of last year's third-round pick, Jay Sternberger, and I think for good reason. Um, and then they've got good play from Tanyan at times. And I think we're all assuming that Jimmy Graham is probably on his way out. And we don't really know what Mercedes Lewis is going to be up to next year if he's going to play again. I kind of doubt Green Bay uses their first or second rounder on a tight end. And I'm not sure that the value is going to be there anyway to do that. Uh, but they might go back to the well in the third round or the fourth round and add one of these raw developmental guys to add into the mix and make that group an even better one in Green Bay. Yeah, one of the things that's that's really interesting, um, you know, is how this tight end 
group is going to be built if if there's a possibility of Mercedes Lewis coming back and um, you know to the certainly the development of Jay Sternberger is going to be a really important factor. I don't know if Robert Tanyan is somebody that um, the coaching staff is as, as high on as you know some people in the Packers media, Andy Herman are, <laughs> and um, it, it's just it's going to be really interesting to see how this is formulated, and and you can definitely see the Packers going out and and drafting um, one of these guys in the you know maybe a day two pick, may, maybe in the mid rounds. Uh, and adding to the depth of that position. One of the things you and I have talked about off the air before, I said, hey, what if the Packers are saying, we know we have a weakness at wide receiver. What if we played more two tight end sets? Um, and it's it's potentially, you know, there's the potential that they could go with one running back and two tight ends, two wide receivers, and they'd still need to add to both of those positions. But um, I think there's some interesting things they can do there. Um, certainly, you would expect Jay Sternberger to be a big part of that. And then also, of course, there's free agency, and the Packers could potentially do something in tight end there. There's some uh, at least intriguing names that could possibly be available you'd expect austin hooper to be one of those uh hunter henry is a possibility and um you know eric ebron to a much lesser extent greg olson to a much lesser extent but there's there's some solid options out there in free agency that that could help this group out and uh you know maybe they go out and draft a a developmental guy or maybe somebody who's primarily a wide receiver and then that can take some pressure off of having to completely overhaul this wide receiver room in this offseason yeah absolutely it will be really interesting to see how they assess the value of the wide receiver position and the tight end position in free agency and because we know that Matt LaFleur is going to be totally comfortable uh, rolling out those two tight end sets I think in times he probably definitely prefers it uh, but I think there may be the question like of who are we going to roll out there? It's going to be Sternberger and somebody probably. And would we be better off if we had a stud at tight end paired with Sternberger than adding a wide receiver that would be also, you know, a pass catching option and those kinds of things. And where do we want to put our money? So lots of things to consider here that would be really interesting uh, in this conversation around tight end. And I think we've, or at least I've mentioned it before, like the NFL being cyclical the way it is, and you have all these small personnel groupings on defense, and now you're starting to see teams go go heavy sets, like the Ravens and the 49ers and, you know, the Rams in the past and, and other teams that are really just like loading up and running it down your throat and, and then building their their play action off of that and their misdirection plays um, off of those things. I think it's just a matter of time before teams start to learn how to use three tight ends on the field at the same time. The Ravens toy around with this a bit, um, but obviously their quarterback creates a different dynamic. But, you know, if you could get three tight ends that are like capable blockers but are really good receivers, you could mess this league up because how do you defend that? You go light personnel, we're going to run it down your throat, right? Like, we're just going to go heavy and and run it at you over and over and over, and we're not going to let you sub. Or if you, if you try to go heavy, we're going to line our tight ends up out wide and then throw all over the place. So Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, it's, it's really fun to think about, and it's really fun to think about how eventually they're going to start sucking safeties up to try to deal with that. And then, oh, 
heck, we just vote, we just uh, drafted Jalen Rager in the first round, and he's running past where you're supposed to have your safety. So could be a ton of, ton of fun to see how the Packers decide to use the tight end position going forward and what kind of talent that they would inject there alongside, obviously, some additions that we're hoping happen in the wide receiver room as well. But um, I guess we should finish up with a conversation around uh, the offensive line. Uh, this is the last group we have to look at. And a lot of Green Bay's interest in O-line is going to be determined by what happens in free agency with Balaga. Uh, but this is a good class for tackles. And a lot of the guys at the top of this class are likely going to be gone when the Packers do pick. But you never know for sure. Uh, because last year, you know, Florida's Jawan Taylor was set to be a top 15 lock. Um, really, everybody expected him to go even in the top 10, and then he didn't go in the, until the second round. And Andre Dillard went a little bit later than some people expected. So it's it's just a reason to know all of these guys because you never know how the board is going to fall and who's going to be available. So uh, we're going to stop with these, start with these guys and go all the way through these, these first round expected picks, right? So we got Jedrick Wills um, from Alabama. Uh, might be the top tackle in this class. He's super strong, might be best suited for more of a gap power system. And what's interesting with Wills is that he played all of his games at right tackle. So no one really knows for sure what he would look like at left tackle. So those teams are trying to make that projection right now. Uh, but even if he's just a right tackle, he's a dang good one. And it's kind of rare to find the blend of being a great pass blocking tackle, but also having a super mean streak and being super strong in the running game as well. And Willis is definitely both of those things. So uh, someone to get excited about and Wills, someone's going to get a really good football player. Uh, Tristan Wirfs from Iowa is an interesting prospect because he's really, really athletic. Um, but some are projecting him as a guard in his own blocking scheme because of that athleticism. They like him there. And that could, you know, they're talking about, you know, Brandon Scherf. Obviously, you got the Iowa connection there. Um, but they're saying he could be the next Brandon Scherf. It's a tackle that goes to guard. And I think it's important we remember he definitely can play tackle and be really good there. Um, but a lot of people like him to be that stud at guard instead. So we'll have to see what his measurements are at the combine, especially if he has shorter arms. I think we'll hear more about worse as a guard prospect, which could send him down boards a little bit. Uh, but make no mistake about it. This guy can definitely play tackle at a really high level as well. Um, Mikai Becton from Louisville. When someone uses the phrase mountain of a man, Makai Becton is really the reference point you're going for here. I mean, holy cow, this guy is listed at six foot seven. The Louisville website has him at 367 pounds. <laughs> and what makes him so intriguing as a prospect is really the fact that you would never guess that that he was really that big. You'd never know based on how he moves. He's just super, super smooth. And you'd guess uh, that he, he just, you would guess with a guy that big that he would be really impactful in the run game. And he really is. But my goodness, he's, a, he's just a beast in pass protection as well. So uh, he had a really strong 2019, uh, which was improved from his 2018. And some people think that he cut weight uh, for that. And that's part of the reason that he was so much better this year. Uh, so it will be really interesting to see where he weighs in at if he gets even close to that 300 and almost 70 pounds. But uh, Becton may be the best left tackle prospect in this draft only to be rivaled by 
Andrew Thomas from Georgia. And and Thomas is kind of your prototypical left tackle prospect as far as his build goes. Super powerful, and he's a great fit in a power run scheme. Uh, but the questions with Thomas are really around his footwork and his pass sets. There are instances where he gets beat up the arc by speed rushers. Uh, he's got some work there to do for sure. But Thomas is frequently mocked uh, as high as like the Giants, right, in the top five. So uh, while there's some developmental need here, um, he's clearly a very, very talented player that NFL teams are in love with and are going to be really excited to spend a high pick on as well. Uh, these are really the four tackles that are the consensus top of this draft. You'll hear buzz around guys like Josh Jones from Houston, Austin Jackson from USC, and interior guys like Michigan's uh, Cesar Ruiz and Lloyd uh, Cushenberry. All these guys will have the chance to pull themselves up into that top tier with strong combine performances. Uh, but it's really these four, I think, that are definitely solidified themselves kind of in that uh, probably off the board by the middle of the first round. And I really do think this is a pretty good group. People, people probably aren't going to get excited about an offensive line pick at 30. But, you know, depending on the free agent status of Blaga, which you mentioned, and if the Packers feel like they have an in-house option to replace him, that's going to be an interesting uh, scenario come April. So not only that, but there's some other things that they kind of have to plan for in the future. Uh, the Packers have an out of what is starting to look like kind of a bad Billy Turner contract. You know, not that Billy Turner is a bad player and 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 they fit him in the gap, but his contract is is really easy to get out of after 2020. And Corey Lindsley is going into a contract year as well. So could there be a potential replacement on the horizon for him or do they view Lucas Patrick um, as that guy? Yeah, I definitely think the Packers uh, fans everywhere should expect to see an offensive line player selected probably in this draft, even if it's not to the middle rounds, because there is so much less certainty around the future of Corey Lindsley and Billy Turner than I think what we sometimes remember, because we are talking about a 2021 season where we really don't know exactly who's going to be starting at center, at right guard, and at right tackle at this moment. So a lot of question marks on that line, even though it seems pretty stable at the moment. I think we'll see the Packers throw some picks uh, that way, even as early as this spring. And we don't even totally know what Matt LaFleur desires in offensive linemen, and to a lesser extent, Brian Gutekunst, because you have these holdovers. Uh, you know, you have David Bakhtiari and Balaga and Corey Lindsley, and those are guys you're not going to get rid of uh, because they're really, really good at what they do, but maybe they don't fit exactly what LaFleur is doing on offense. And I think there actually is something to that, that the Packers weren't able to run all of the things Matt LaFleur wanted to in year one because his tackles are primarily pass blockers. And so that takes away a little bit. Um, I think, you know, Corey Lindsley, awesome in, in the passing game, not always as impactful in straight ahead blocking really good zone blockers. So, you know, with, with some of those factors, could we see some different types of players being drafted as well? Yeah, I think we're going to learn a lot more about this team and about Matt LaFleur in this second year, because I think that is one of the most remarkable things about what they were able to do in that first season with him as head coach. He really did kind of work with a holdover roster. Obviously, it's a very talented group, uh, but, he, you know, there were some big needs at, you know, outside 
pass rusher that Goody had to address and those kinds of things. We're kind of entering an offseason here where, you know, they might decide to improve at tight end. They might decide to go um, with, you know, some help at wide receiver. These are the kind of the things we know. But I think LaFleur will be able to kind of inject his opinion a little bit more into like, hey, this is how I prefer to run this offense. And obviously offensive line is going to be a big part of that. But man, so, so remarkable. I think we lose a little bit of perspective with the way that the season ended and how disappointing it was in a lot of ways. But so remarkable that LaFleur is able to step in to a roster that really was not constructed with his insight almost whatsoever and do some pretty, pretty incredible things in year one. So will be really exciting to see as we get into free agency and the draft to see if there's a little bit more LaFleur flavor uh, to this team as we get into 2020. LaFleur. Um, <laughs> so if you like this crazy draft talk, um, certainly interact with us on Twitter. Kyle and I love to talk about the draft. And so um, I have my draft profiles that are coming out every few days. If you like, check those out, please do. I also have a new system that I'm going to be launching this year to take a look at how prospects actually measure up for the Packers. So I have a little algorithm that I formed that uh, will take into effect age and RAS scores and other things that Gutekunst has seemed to prefer um, over other things. But we, we'd love to hear what, what your thoughts are on the prospects that we talked about this week with offense, or if there's any defensive players you want us to take a look at next week um, that have caught your eye throughout this, let us know. And uh, that's all the time we have for today. We went pretty long tonight, Kyle. Uh, <laughs> but this has been the Pack-A-Day Podcast. You can find Kyle on Twitter at at Packer underscore Pundit, and you can find me at Andrew Mertig. Remember to also follow at Packaday Podcast. Please subscribe and rate the podcast if you like what we're doing. You can catch Kyle and myself every single Friday. We'll be back next week as we continue our two-part series and take a look at the defensive players at the top of this year's draft. Thanks for listening, and as always, remember... Hi, this is Nick Schmitz, one of the hosts of a Pack-A-Day podcast. Since you're a fan of the Green Bay Packers, you are probably a fan of Friday Night Fish Fries. It's a staple of Wisconsin heritage, and we want to let you know how you can support Friday Night Fish Fries. You can do this through supporting The Farmery. The Farmery is a non-profit aquaponics farm and fish hatchery, and they are excited to launch their state-of-the-art yellow perch fish hatchery in downtown Green Bay. The hatchery will produce fish that aquaculture farmers can grow out and produce for your family's Friday Night Fish Fry. In partnership with the Green Bay Packers and the Greater Green Bay Community Foundation, the Farmery has been selected to receive matching funds as part of Give Big Green Bay, a 24-hour online giving event designed to rally the community around local nonprofits. From noon on Tuesday, February 18th through noon on Wednesday, February 19th, you can make your donation to the Farmery at www.givebiggreenbay.org. The Green Bay Packers and the Greater Green Bay Community Foundation will match every donation, which will provide high-quality learning experiences such as internships, job shadowing experiences, field trips, and community tours of the new facility. Donate online at www.givebiggreenbay.org and search The Farmery. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. 
at hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.